Thank you so much, Casey. We're going to continue in some uh, Christmas worship here shortly. Do you guys enjoy that music this morning? Um, I encourage you, sing along, worship, praise. Um, this is really such an amazing time of year to listen to uh, these, these kind of sacred Christmas hymns and carols that we only sing uh, this time of year, except for those who cheat and start in September. Um, it just becomes normal music to you, and it's not special anymore. You've ruined it. So you start after Thanksgiving. I want to talk today about um, anticipation. Uh, we, we've just simply called this service, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. And this idea of inviting um, someone to come, inviting uh, literally Christ to come, inviting the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit to come is related to anticipation. And so question is, is like, have you ever anticipated something before? Have you ever looked forward to something before. For some of you, it may be you know, Christmas break. You know, here you are. It might be spring break or summer break. I was thinking of things uh, that I used to get excited for as a child, things that don't even exist anymore. And I don't know why this came to mind, but how many of you grew up when there were actually circuses that visited cities that you could go to the circus? You're like, yes, those, those were real times. So I remember going to the circus. And the circus that existed when I was a child, it wasn't just people doing acrobats. There were actually elephants there. And there were real lions. And there was danger and intrigue involved. There was fire rings that motorcycles would go through and tigers would jump through. And I'm not for, uh, actually, if I'm being honest, I don't think that animals belong in circuses like that. However... It was cool to ride the elephant at the circus. You got to ride elephants at the circus back in the good old days. Um, How many of you grew up with Disney on Ice before? You ever look forward to that? I would always like, secretly I wanted to go to Disney on Ice as a a young lad, but I thought it was kind of girly. And I never expressed my heart's desire to my parents to take me to Disney on Ice. Um, But Disney on Ice was a real thing. Like Disney characters... Literally on ice, with ice skates, and um, people who once, you know, were hopeful figure skaters um, degraded to wearing Aladdin and Jasmine costumes while they did it. And so things that we look forward to, I know that most children look forward to snow. And at some point in life, that kind of shifts, and you maybe don't like snow as much. And I can remember growing up in a Christian home, growing up in the church, Um, And when it was time for Sunday school or even youth group, uh, leaders would ask, what is it you want to pray for? We're like, we just want to bring before the Lord that it would snow this year. And the the kids' church teacher would be like, it's 65 degrees in February. It's not snowing. But how many of you prayed diligently for snow? And and how many of you children right now are praying diligently for snow? I I want you to know that your parents are praying diligently against the snow. (laughs) And so while we might anticipate snow, I I feel bad for God in moments like this because there is spiritual warfare that takes place in the heavens as parents are praying that snow would not come, children are praying for snow, and what's God to do in such a situation? And so sometimes there's snow, and sometimes there is not. And if it snows just to the point of like a half inch of slush, it doesn't count, by the way. If it's, it's only snow if it stays for a week. And so... Some of you anticipate snow, but really this is Christmas, and, and we anticipate Christmas time. And I think the older some of us get, the, the less we anticipate Christmas. But typically, uh, younger people, children, teens, even adults, uh, anticipate Christmas. I know some of you who are in uh, new romantic relationships. Maybe you're about to have your first Christmas together. Very romantic. You can hold hands and watch um, a Hallmark movie together. And leave room for the Holy Spirit as you watch on your couch. So anticipate Christmas. And with the anticipation of Christmas comes the anticipation of of gifts. How many of you grew up in an era where the gift that every child wanted was was Tickle Me Elmo? You remember that? That was a disturbing toy. Tickle Me Elmo. Um, How many of you is a Tamagotchi, little little digital pets on a keychain? before MP3 players, and um, even when not many people had Discmans, there was like NSYNC and Backstreet Boys would have these little boxes you could play music on, and I know all of you 
um, 28 to 32 year old girls had those one day and you might still have them in your hope chest to show your kids. So what do you anticipate? What are the things that you look forward to? For me, um, things I looked forward to as a child was um, Air Jordans came out when I was a child. And I had asked my parents um, for Air Jordans. I wanted a pair of Air Jordans. They had the means to buy me Air Jordans. And I remember one Christmas, I'm sorry, Mom, this still bugs me. Um, <laughs> I opened up a gift, and it was literally a pair of pony uh, tennis shoes. And now pony tennis shoes are kind of ironically cool now, but they weren't then. Um, I also remember one gift I specifically wanted one year was the Sega Genesis. How many of you grew up with Sega Genesis? It was like the original Sonic the Hedgehog. And, and the smell of the plastic on those cartridges and on that game console played on a 20-inch Magnavox $800 TV, because they were expensive back then, was magnificent. I, I wanted one time, this is my last story, um, I wanted this toy, I, I've told this story before on Christmas, but uh, they had this thing called a Tyco Typhoon, and it was a remote control hovercraft. And I wanted this remote control hovercraft so badly, and it's probably all my parents heard about for about six months, uh, but it was a hovercraft that was remote control. Two greater things have not been combined before. And so I got, you know, they learned their lesson from the Air Jordans and the ponies, and they got me uh, the Tyco Typhoon that Christmas Eve. I opened it up, and the next day my dad took me um, to Cascade Gateway Park here in Salem. You probably shouldn't go there to do fun things now. Um, but we went, and this particular year was like one of the, the coldest Christmas I can remember, and Cascade Gateway uh, Pond was completely, it's called Walter Worth Lake, actually. It was completely frozen over. And so this was the perfect opportunity for a hovercraft. Ice, Christmas Day, remote control, 10-ish-year-old boy. This was a dream. And so little did I know that the batteries on the Tyco Typhoon lasted about three minutes. And so it did hover. There was crafting involved. It, it moved around the lake, but then in the middle of the lake, the battery died. And my dad, who had just spent $100, which at inflation, that was about $250 then, uh, on this Tyco Typhoon, um, tells his 10-year-old son what needs to be done is the 10-year-old son needs to walk out onto the frozen lake <laughs> about 100 yards away to get the typhoon because what could go wrong? And naively, I'm like, I trust whatever you say, Dad. And I walked out onto the lake crack by crack, and by the grace of God, I walked back with the typhoon. I do think it was the last time I ever used it. I don't think I ever, I ever played with it again. And so whatever money you've spent on your children this holiday season, it'll last about a day or two. So anticipation. The point of those stories is this. Sometimes the anticipation is better than the real thing. How many of you ever anticipated something and it came about and you were like, oh, it, it was good, but it wasn't as good as I made it out to be. On the flip side of that, I've also learned that sometimes I'll have great anticipation for something, the time comes and it's just like, oh, and then like two years later, the memory sometimes is better than what the anticipation was. That, that's a fascinating psychological issue as well. And so anticipation can be better than the actual real thing, but sometimes the real thing could be better than what we were expecting. How many of you, you did look forward to something, but what you got was better than what you were expecting. It was better than what you were actually looking forward to. And if you allow yourself to take that in mind, you, you can actually come to realize, like, oh, it really was better than I anticipated. Because sometimes we might get a pair of ponies instead of a pair of Air Jordans. Or, or sometimes we might get this when we wanted that, or we might end up with him when we thought we'd be with him. Or, or we might end up with this situation in life, when we thought we would have gone to this school or had this job, and things turned out different than what we thought. But if you humble yourself, and if you take a look back, you can actually see the hand of God and see what he brought to you was better than what you wanted. And so oftentimes, the things that are best for us are not the things that we want the most, and the things that we want the most are not always the best things for us. And so we will oftentimes pray for things that God does not 
answer in our minds when in reality he did answer and he said no because no was better for you than yes would have actually have been. And so for thousands of years, humanity had anticipated something. Currently today, people are still anticipating something that's already come, but they don't recognize it's already been here and it's here now. For thousands of years, people have anticipated things. They anticipated someone to rescue them from darkness. And if you were to ask what darkness is, darkness comes in many forms. And despite our differences of political views or whether we are this or we are that, everybody acknowledges darkness of some kind within this world. And so people have anticipated a rescue from darkness. And for many... What they anticipated was a savior, a hero, a rescuer to come and to do the rescuing. And in that, they anticipated all sorts of different human figures who would come and would save the day. And we're still telling these stories today uh, in, in our films and in our comic books. We have these, these Superman figures, these these superhero figures that were hoping and expecting will indeed save the day. Going back to the Hallmark movies, there, there's this man that works at a coffee shop with a sweater that the woman is just hoping will save the day. And he won't, man. He just, he's not going to. You could do better for yourself on Lifetime. So we, we look for people to save the day. And for ancient Israel, they looked forward to someone who would save the day, and they had all sorts of ideas about what this someone, this rescuer, this hero would be. They thought that someday a king would come, someday a warrior would come, and he would rescue them from the oppression of Assyria, of Babylon, of Rome, of Persia, that this rescuer would come and save people, and they had all sorts of ideas. And even though this idea of a conquering warrior king, it was actually a part of what would come, that they were focused so much on that that they missed out on what they really needed and what was better for them and what was actually coming. And so if you had to ask, well, what is it that these people wanted? What is it that Israel wanted? What is it that every culture has wanted? Um, what we have wanted is somebody to come and rescue us from outward oppression. And so our problems are always tied to the other, to the outside. It's the enemy. It's this political party. It's that political party. It's this nation. It's this culture. It's this language. It's this ideal. It's this thing that's out to get us. It's, it's my boss. It's my coworker. It's my ex-husband. It's my ex-wife. We want rescuing from outside oppression when what people really needed and what we really need is rescue from inward oppression, rescue from spiritual oppression. And outward oppression is, is very real, and we want rescued from that, and Jesus Christ will rescue us from that. But more important, and what we must experience first, is a rescue from ourselves, a rescue from our own hearts, a rescue from our own minds that war and battle against us, and a rescue from spiritual forces of darkness. And this kind of oppression that we need rescued from, it's an oppression that leads to actual death. Uh, in the New Testament of the Bible, there's a book, Romans, in its third chapter and 23rd verse an apostle by the name of Paul, he writes as God's spirit leads him to, he says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All have this inward oppression. All have this spiritual oppression. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And you fast forward exactly three chapters, and, and, and Paul puts more flesh to his writing. He says this about the sin that we all engage in. He says, the wages of sin is death. It's death. And so what is sin? Sin is literally a foreign concept today. What is sin? Well, Romans 3.23 describes, it says, the, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. In that, we find the definition of sin. Sin is falling short of God's expectations. 
Sin is falling short of God's glory. Sin is missing the mark. Sin is not living in the way that our creator intended us to live. Actually, Scripture says whatever is not of faith is sin. And so we have to ask ourselves the question, if that's what sin is, then who sins? And the answer is everybody. The most important answer is me. Who sins? I do. That's the most important realization you can come to. So all sin. Everyone misses the mark. Everyone falls short of God's glory. Everyone does things every day that is not of faith and is, in fact, sin. So if that's the case, what's the consequence? What's the justice? What, what is the judgment that we can experience for that falling short of God's glory? Well, he says in 623, the wages of sin is death. And we could all say, yes, we understand what death is. We haven't experienced it yet personally. We've seen it with those around us in whom we love. But here's what death is in a biblical sense. Death is a death in relationship with God. We'll call that a spiritual death. Death is a death of our relationship with others. We'll call that relational, interpersonal, emotional death. Death is literally a death of our bodies. Our bodies are dying. And we'll call that physical death. Death is death forever apart from God. In hell, we'll call that eternal death. We will all die. And the reason we will all die is because we all sin. In Romans 6.23, it uses this weird word for death. It says that death is our wage. How do you get a wage? You work for it. You earn it. And here's the irony, is oftentimes we're trying to work for what we would call salvation. We're trying to work toward being a good person. We're trying to work for our life. But the Bible says that all of our good works are really nothing before God. The Bible says that instead, our work actually produces death. Now, there's good work. Hear me out on that. But, but the wages of our sin is death. The more we work at sin, the more we experience and will one day completely experience death of every type. Our rebellious works against God earn us, all of us, death. And so from the very first sin, you can read about the very first sin. Genesis chapter 3, God tells the first man and the first woman, you can eat of any tree. You can eat of any fruit of any tree in the garden, but of this one tree you shall not eat its fruit, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the devil shows up in the form of a serpent and deceives the woman, and the husband is standing idly by, and the first sin is the husband doing nothing about it, not crushing the head of this serpent who is threatening his family and his wife. And the wife then gives in, and she gives to her husband, and he eats. And from that very first sin, God pronounces the coming judgment on mankind of death. And he pronounces that judgment on man and on woman. But what I want to point to you this Christmas is he gives a judgment actually on the devil. He gives a judgment on what Genesis 3 records is a serpent. And to the serpent, the Lord himself says this in Genesis 3.15. He says to the devil, I will put enmity. We'll use the word strife is more modern. I will put strife between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He, that being the offspring of the woman, he, the offspring of the woman, will bruise your, that's the serpent, will bruise your head. And you, the devil, the serpent, will bruise the heel of the offspring of the woman. And so this is the first sign of hope in the Bible, we call this the or a proto-evangelion. It's like a pre-gospel that, that a Savior is coming. A rescuer is coming to rescue us from darkness. 
and we get thousands of years ago a glimpse of what this rescuer will be, you see, one day there would be a male offspring of this woman who, though he would suffer a wound in his wrists and in his heels, would crush the head of the serpent, the devil. And in crushing his head would defeat him in death and hell and sin. And what that son, what that offspring of that first woman would do is offer to those who have been deceived access again to the tree of life. Raise your hand if you've been deceived. That this offspring of this woman would offer those who have been deceived access to the tree of life. You say, that just sounds mystical. It is analogous for everlasting life. The tree of life was a symbol of one standing in relationship with God. And if you move away from God, only death remains. But if you are drawn to God, that is where you find life. And so those who are deceived would have access to the tree of life and that that offspring of that woman, that son, would rescue those, me and you, and all who have gone before us who would put their trust in him would rescue those who are spiritually dead. You are not physically dead yet. Check your pulse to make sure. But we're all spiritually dead. And from that moment in time, in Genesis chapter 3, literally thousands upon thousands of years ago, from that moment in time, mankind would come to anticipate this Savior, and that story would get spread throughout all cultures, and it would get convoluted, and it would get uh, stolen by false religions and make it into something it wasn't. But from that moment on, people were waiting for a literal Savior, a male offspring of a woman who would crush the head of the enemy, and would save them from darkness. And you see it throughout history. You see it in Genesis chapter 6, 7, 8, 9, the flood. God uses a boat and a man to rescue the world from sin. You see it in Genesis 12 forward with a man named Abraham, who God told him that his descendants would bring a blessing to the entire world. You see it with Moses who would be used by God to free his people from slavery and give to them the law which would show them their sin and point them toward the coming Savior. You would see this with King David in 1000 B.C. and that the idea that his throne would be the throne that this Savior would one day sit on. And you see it in dozens of prophets that appear in the Old Testament of the Scriptures, prophets to Israel to the north and Judah to the south, who spoke of the Savior who was to come and who spoke specifically of the times and the blessings that this Savior would bring. And so 700 to 800 years before Jesus, we find this one prophecy that encompasses why we're here today. It's Isaiah, the seventh chapter, verse 14. God is speaking to the people of Judah through this man, through this prophet Isaiah. And says this about a sign that people would and will receive. God says, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. And shall call his name Emmanuel. A virgin giving birth by the Lord himself was something to notice. It was something to keep an eye out for. How many of you, maybe even too recently than it should have been, you asked God for a sign? And the old proverbial church story is you were asking God for a sign if you should date him, and you opened up the window that was very windy outside. You said, God, if that curtain shakes, I know he's for me. Or you literally... The old idea of putting out a fleece before God, you throw out a fleece outside when it's pouring down rain. And God, if it's wet in the morning, then she's for me. You see, this sign of a virgin who would give birth by the Lord himself, that's a sure sign. It's not a shaking curtain or a wet rug. It's, it's a sign that God is truly doing something. And if Isaiah tells us that he shall be called Emmanuel, then this is a word, this is a name that we should be listening for. We're, we're looking for the son of a virgin, and he's going to be called Emmanuel. Those are things that people should be looking out for. And this idea of this offspring, of this person born 
to a virgin or what Isaiah would call a suffering servant. This idea Israel would come to know as a Messiah. They were waiting for a Messiah. And the word Messiah, we kind of lose its meaning when we talk about it, but it just means a sent one, an anointed one. A set apart, a holy one that would come and would rescue and would save the day. And with all of the anticipation for this Messiah, Israel itself came to expect someone entirely differently than who was actually coming. And for that, when he did arrive, most of the earth missed him. So many signs were given. Dozens upon dozens of fulfilled signs were given. Missed by so many. And the true Messiah, his own people, dismissed. That's what John chapter 1 says. But in a remote region of a remote country, a region by the name of Galilee, in a small backwoods town by the name of Nazareth, a young couple would see these prophecies, thousands of years of prophecies fulfilled through them. And they would trust God. They would experience the greatest anticipation of all. They would realize that the Messiah would not be what or who people expected. And they would find out that he was better than anyone could have expected. And I know it's a cliche joke, but when we sing Our favorite song, Mary, Did You Know, she knew because an angel told her. And we ought to know because God has been telling us for thousands of years what this offspring of the woman would be like. So let's read just a short part of the Christmas story, Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. Matthew writes this, the birth of Jesus took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, he was a descendant of King David. Do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She's telling the truth. She will bear a son, the offspring of the woman. And you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save people from their sins. Jesus is the Hebrew name Yahshua. It literally means God saves. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet Isaiah 750 plus years ago, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means, say it with me, God with us. And when Joseph awoke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Called his name Jesus. He shall be called Emmanuel. The Messiah would be called Emmanuel, and Jesus will be his name. God saves. And God would save by being with those who need the saving. You see, God would not just send a Messiah, one to be a warrior, a king, a rescuer. He wouldn't just send someone in his place. But God came himself in human form. He took on flesh. He lived among us to live for us, to die for us, and to give us new life. You see, it's, it's God that we've sinned against, only him. It's God who is the judge for our sin. And because of that, only God can save us because it's only God we've sinned against. Because God's the judge, only God 
could both pour out the judgment and receive the judgment upon himself in our place. He did what we and what everyone before us and everyone who will come after us did not, cannot, will not do. And because he came himself, those who would follow him after his death, resurrection, and ascension into heaven would write this. Philippians 2 says, Jesus, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. You see, God coming to be with us, God taking on flesh and dwelling among us instead of just sending someone, instead of just sending a representative, instead of just leaving us to our own demise, that is the greatest gift of all. That first Christmas day 2,000 years ago when he came himself, that's the greatest gift. And so with that word gift, we start to wrap up our time here today. Romans 6.23 We read the first part earlier, and we read chapter 3 that says, All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Chapter 6 says, The wages of sin is death. But it doesn't end at death, does it? But the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. See, that gift is the greatest fulfillment of anticipation. And it is better than what we expected. God with us. So this song, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, it was written 1,200 years ago. And it's changed and evolved over the last 800. But that song would be sung starting seven days before Christmas. And faithful followers of Jesus who've gone before us would sing that song in anticipation of that holy day that they celebrated the fulfillment of anticipation. And now we live on the other side of that anticipation's fulfillment. We are anticipating the Messiah to come because he already came, but he's coming again. We still need to anticipate daily what the Messiah has for us each and every day. We still need to anticipate and to invite him to have his way and to fulfill his purpose in our lives. See, we still ought to anticipate the observance of this day, and and I would concur with you that, yes, Jesus was not born on December 25th. I get it. I understand that. But we've chosen this day for many reasons. You know, have a couple-hour conversation with me. I can tell you why. We've chosen this day to remember, and we ought to anticipate this day. And we ought to not just anticipate a day where we celebrate this rescuer called Christmas, but we ought to anticipate the celebration of this rescuer every single week to gather together with followers of Jesus, brothers and sisters in Christ, those who know him and those who are yet to know him, we ought to anticipate every Sunday. Not just Easter, not just Christmas, but man, sometimes the greatest gatherings of God's peoples on like February 14th, or that's Valentine's Day, I didn't mean to say it like that. (laughs) February 16th, random days, March 11th. See, if you only gather for times like this, you're going to miss out on the gathering of God's people each and every week and day. We ought to seek the Holy Spirit, who Jesus promised and sent in his absence. We ought to anticipate a move of the Holy Spirit, who is not just God with us like Jesus was, but the Holy Spirit for the believer is actually God in us. We ought to seek him and anticipate him to continuously fill us and make us more 
like him. We ought to, like John wrote in Revelation 22, he said, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. We ought to anticipate the return of Jesus to fulfill completely what was foretold. What those who missed him expected of him in the first place. Because he is going to come like they originally expected. He will come as a king and as a warrior to actually rescue us from outside forces. But he's already offered us a rescue from inward forces and spiritual forces of darkness. So here's my question for you as our worship team comes up and leads us in a few more songs. What right now are you anticipating that has not been fulfilled? Take a minute. Ask yourself. Think about that. What is something that you are anticipating that has not yet been fulfilled? And I don't mean the Tycho Typhoon, the iPhone 12. I don't mean those things. I mean, real things of the heart. What are things you are anticipating that have not been fulfilled? Listen, please. Whatever that is, whatever that righteous, good hope and anticipation and desire you have, I want you to know it's only found in Christ. Period. Uh, a husband or a wife will not fulfill you. Children will not fulfill you. Grandchildren will not fulfill you. They're really good. They can be most of the time. But they won't fulfill you. Your dream vacation won't fulfill you. The new gaming console, it, it just won't fulfill you. Your next hookup it's, it's not going to fulfill you. I promise. Your next high will not fulfill you. The championship you've been fighting for, the raise you've been praying for, the promotion you've been expecting, it will not fulfill you. Whatever you're anticipating that you have not yet experienced, it is only found in Jesus. I'd, I'd just like to follow the leading of God's Spirit for a minute. I'd like to talk to single people, men and women, but I want to hone in on, on women for a second. Because we talked about those Hallmark movies and stuff, I'm just telling you, that guy at the coffee shop in the sweater is not going to fulfill you. I, I'm serious. You don't need him. You don't need a man to fix what's going on in here. You don't. You are perfectly complete as a single person. You are. Culture tells us we're completed when we find our other half. That's not true. It, marriage is good. It can bring joy. It can bring some fulfillment. It, can, it certainly makes us forced to be more like God in order to make it work. But you're no less a person if you're single. Someone needs to hear that today. L looking for someone who has deceived you online to their best self possible is not going to fix your day. He's probably going to make it worse. It goes for men, for women, everybody. And, and Jesus is the one that brings fulfillment. And if Jesus brings you a husband or a wife, then amen, glory to God, hallelujah, so be it, we'll celebrate with you. But you're just as whole as a married person. You're just as whole as this or this or this or this. The only fulfillment you're going to find is in Jesus. And if you want to be married, I hope that you get married. If you want to have children, I hope that you have children. If you want to work in a certain field, I hope that you do. But it will not fulfill you. Only Christ will. Because Jesus is better than you expect. And he, even in difficult death valley kind of times, even in the midst of the Red Sea, he is God with us. 
So if you're here today, and if you are, if you'd say, I am a Christian, I follow Jesus, I've put my trust in Jesus Christ, here's what I want to ask you to do. Please anticipate more of him. Anticipate more of him. Pastor, you haven't heard the news that by the month of February, it's going to be Armageddon. You haven't heard of the 28th variant of COVID-19. You haven't heard about the economic collapse that we're expected to experience. You haven't heard about the asteroid that's going to fly real close to the earth. I've heard it all. Christian, please anticipate more of Jesus. He, what he has is better than all the bad stuff that the world says is going to ruin your life. Anticipate him. Yeah, dark times will come. Viruses and economic problems and political unrest and war and famine and all those things, they will happen. They will come and they will go. But in the midst of those times and in the midst of times of plenty, I want to invite you to anticipate more of Jesus. Oh, come, oh, come, God with us. What do you anticipate with Jesus? Let him surprise you. Ask him to give you exactly what he wants to give you. And that's tough, by the way. Notice I didn't say, ask Jesus to give you exactly what you want. That's not not a good thing, actually. The good thing is, ask Jesus to give you exactly what he wants to give you. Don't listen to your wife if she says, just get me whatever you want to get me. Don't, Don't do that. But with Jesus, it's the right way to look at it. Ask Jesus to give you exactly what he wants for you. But pastor, that might mean I would lose my, oh, I know that's what it means. Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, pick up his cross and follow me. I get it. Oftentimes receiving something, I would actually say every time receiving something takes letting go of something else. And with Jesus, the only thing he wants you to let go of is that which is not best for you. So you can receive the best thing of all. Be willing to receive what God does want to give you. And once you get it, be a good steward of it. Jesus, God himself, God saves, God with us. He offers us the greatest gift, the greatest gift of all, is salvation. It is forgiveness of my sins. It is a restored relationship with God. It is the presence of his Holy Spirit, and it is everlasting life. And it is a free gift that only God can give. And because of that, it's a gift of grace. Grace is getting what we don't deserve. In Christ, we have grace. Get what we don't deserve. We we deserve hell. We get life. We deserve separation. We get relationship with Jesus. I heard this this week. I love it. Mercy is, is not getting what we do deserve. You ever heard that before? Mercy is not getting what we deserve. Grace is getting what we don't. All that we deserve, Christ took. All we don't deserve, Christ gives. He gives a gift. It's free. But with every single gift, you must receive. You must have faith. And so when you give the present under your tree or in the stocking this holiday season, when someone gives one to you, you must make a decision. Will I receive the gifts? Some of you taught your kids that if someone offers them something that they play around like they don't want it. Knock that off. You've heard that before like, hey, I, I just want to bless you. And they're like, no, I couldn't. I, oh, and you just make a fool of yourself. Just like, just grab it and say thank you. Because by receiving a gift, someone's trying to give, you're blessing them. You're, you're blessing them and you're receiving what they want to bless you with and you're blessed as well. And actually the whole song and dance of, oh, I couldn't accept it. It is actually an offense to what they're trying to give. And it's the same with God. God wants to give you the gift of his son. You don't deserve it, but he's saying, but I want to give it to you. 
And you're like, I couldn't because of my sin. I just can't take it because of my divorce, my this, my that. I just can't do it. And God says, I know about those things. I know what you deserve, and I took it for you. Here's a gift for you, though. Well, I couldn't do anything to repay you, God, and that's the point. That's what we call faith, because there's nothing you can do to repay him. So if you grew up in, in a, maybe an overly religious home, you think like, in order to get that gift, I got to work real hard. Then that's a wage. That's not a gift. The only time wage is used in that concept is something you receive for sin. I don't want to receive a wage, church. I want to receive a gift. It's better to receive a gift than it is a wage especially my wages. My wages are death. His gift is life. Would you bow your heads? You bow your heads, close your eyes with no distraction. I... Normally wouldn't belittle a point so much, but the Lord's really, really pressing me to keep talking about this idea. The Lord wants to give you so much, and He's asking you to be content with where you're at in life. Does not mean you're not anticipating more, does not mean you don't desire more, but it means God. If I need to be content with where I am in life right now in order to receive all you have for me, then so be it. I'll be content in this phase without children. I'll be content at this stage without the house I want to buy. I'll be content in this stage single. I'll be content in this stage divorced. I'll be content in this stage widowed. I'll be content in this stage orphaned. I'll be content in this stage, whatever it is, whatever your stage is. Anticipate something great, but part of anticipating is also being content with where you're at and knowing you don't have to try to make stuff happen to be a better person. Well, I'm not content, so I need to kind of build myself up, make people think more highly of me. I need to, I'm going to work on this, I'm going to work on that, and then maybe I'll be ready to receive what God has. If that's your mentality, you're never ready to receive. Those who are ready to receive and willing to receive are faithful. They're steady. They're content. And they're anticipating Jesus to be the rescuer, not themselves. Not a woman, not a man, not a kid, not a grandchild, not a 4.0 grade point average, not a hundred grand plus salary per year. It's not that. It is a free gift of God. And please receive it. Please receive it. Jesus himself says, God so loved the world. He gave, that's the gift. He gave his only son. That whosoever believes in him will not perish, won't die, but have everlasting life found in Christ. He says, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. So Paul writes, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, if you believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. Scripture says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And as that news started to be preached 2,000 years ago, thousands of people in the city of Jerusalem, the first time they heard it, they said, that did something to my heart. What are we supposed to do? And the first disciples of Jesus, they stood and declared, Repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins in the name of Jesus. Repent. Turn from your way and turn toward Jesus. Experience life in him. And once you experience it, keep anticipating more. Keep anticipating his spirit. Keep anticipating the fruits of the Spirit. Keep anticipating the gifts of the Spirit. Keep anticipating the calling and the works and the power of the Holy Spirit. Keep anticipating the return of Jesus Christ. Keep anticipating what God wants to give. So if you'd say today, Pastor, it's a Christmas service. 
I might be here out of obligation. It's what I do on Christmas. We don't care about any of that. The only reason I do this thing is because I want you to know Christ. Christ already knows you. And he is asking himself in. And you don't actually have to ask him, come, because he's already here. Basically, you can say, you're you're welcome here. I receive you as you're coming, Jesus. I trust in you, not in myself. I trust in your life, your death, and your resurrection to make me exactly who you've called me to be. And I know Jesus. That means letting go of some things that are all about me and instead walking a narrow path that's all about you. But that's what I want. If you'd say today, uh, Pastor, I would like to put my faith in Jesus. I don't know him. I've never put my trust in him before, but I want to receive that gift. And you can say in your heart right now, I'm not a Christian. I don't belong to Christ. I'm not saved. I'm not going to heaven. However you want to phrase that thing. If you say that's I'm not there, but it's what I want. But no one looking around. Just raise your hand as high as you can. Say, I, today I want to receive the gift of Christ. I want to trust in Jesus. I want my sins forgiven. I want a restored relationship with God. I want the Holy Spirit. I want everlasting life. Anybody else say, that's me. I, I just want Jesus. I, I choose him. I don't know him, but today I, I want him. And for those who say, hey, I, I know him. I've received the gifts. Start living like it. Start living like you received a gift and anticipate even more. 2022 doesn't have to be a dark year. It can be a year of anticipating what God will do. Step by step by step by step by step by step. Taking us exactly where he wants us to be. And even if the world crumbles around us while we're standing in anticipation, keep on standing. Because when the world's crumbling, people are crumbling, and you can be the solid ground that they need to pull them onto, to introduce them to what's keeping the foundation under your feet, and his name is Jesus. So God, I thank you for those who put trust in you today. I thank you for renewed hope in the life of the Christian to continue to anticipate you. God, over this next week, if at once this becomes more about the Christmas program, the Christmas gift, the Christmas dinner, the Christmas tree, God, um, convict us of that. And let us make this about you, because it's you it's about. In Jesus' name, amen.